lost in wonder. How we doing, Epiphany? Good. That was weak. How we doing, Epiphany? Man, grace and peace to everybody. It is so good to be amongst the body of Christ, proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. That is why we come. That is why we do what we do. We do it all for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. Psalm 115 says it best. It says, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you get the glory. And that is why we gather to give the name of Jesus Christ complete glory. Why don't you guys go ahead and indulge me and grab your Bibles and, and run to First Peter, if you will. First Peter. I'm praying that you guys would stay, uh, many of you would stay, if not all of you would stay for our prayer walk. It is going to be a good time um, of being able to just walk in the street and, and just um, and really pray for whatever comes onto your heart, whatever comes into your mind. Um, and so it's going to be a really, really good time. It's only going to be about a half an hour to 45 minutes. There's some specific spots I would love to go to and make sure that we spend some time praying. Uh, but it is not going to be a long time. And so if you have something to do this afternoon, I promise you a half an hour, 45 minutes, probably more along the lines of 45 minutes, um, we'll be back here. Uh, so if you want to leave your stuff here, we'll make sure the building's locked up and then we'll go do our thing and we'll come back. All right. All right, First Peter, um, we've been walking through the book of First Peter, and we've made it out of chapter one, and we are now in chapter two. And although we're in a whole new chapter this week, the thought that Peter has been giving us in chapter one actually continues to flow into chapter two. I don't know if you guys know this, but chapters and verses were not originally part of the original document. Chapters and verses weren't added until 1555, at least for the New Testament. It wasn't added until 1555. And the only reason it was added was to give us a quicker way to find Scripture. And so it's easier to find John chapter 3, verse number 16, than it is for us to find, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you try to find that in, the, in, a, in a letter or in a bunch of paragraphs, it's kind of hard, but breaking it up is easier. However... Chapter breaks also um, has hindered us in some ways because sometimes, not always, but sometimes the break in the chapter actually breaks the thought. Unfortunately, our text today is one of the places where the chapter break probably should have been after verse number three. So we'll be in the first three verses of chapter two today. But if I'm honest, the, the thought from chapter one, from verses 22 to 25, actually continue to flow. But even though the chapter break does hinder us from the flow of the content, it doesn't change the content itself. It is still the inspired word of God. Let's consider the content together. If you cannot tell, I am eager to jump right in. So let's read it. Uh, verse number Verse number one, why don't you guys do this? Every week I always read it and you kind of, you know, sit and hear me read it. Why don't I start and then you guys start to read along with me? We'll be in verses one, two, and three. So if we can throw it up on the screen, uh, we'll just, we'll do it together unless you have it on your, uh, in front of you on your devices or in your, uh, your physical copies. All right, verse one says this, read with me. So put away all malice, deceit, mm-hmm. One more verse. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I simply want to preach today from a topic entitled, it's a two-word topic entitled, Grow Up. 
grow up. Let us look to the Lord. Father, today we sit in great anticipation of your word. We do that every single week because we do realize, Lord, that your word has the ability to revive our very souls. Your word has the ability to make wise the simple. It has the ability to rejoice the heart and enlighten the eyes. And ultimately, your word of God endures forever. We heard that last week, that it does not go out of style. When clothes go out of style, when devices go out of style, your word of God stays completely relevant in all generations. And we thank you for that. And so today, Lord, we come in with baggage. If we're honest, we come in and we need your word to cleanse us. Pray that the word of God would get at us today. As Peter deals with sin in the church, pray that uh, our church wouldn't read this and then just say that's a good thought for them during that time. But let us read it and realize that we need to apply the word of God today. So use this time. May Jesus Christ be proclaimed out of this text. It is in Christ's name and Christ's name alone that we come before you. Let everybody say amen. amen. With the authority of the church, why don't you guys go ahead and look to your neighbor and say, grow up. Come on, you've been wanting to do that for a long time. Look at the other neighbor and tell them to grow up. It could be somebody across the room. Go ahead and look across the room and say, go ahead and grow up. Amen. Some of y'all been waiting to do that for years. In 2000, in the early 2000s, I began to work at a Fortune 500 company called Verizon Wireless. And Verizon, I was working in the corporate office of Verizon Wireless. And when I was working there, I, I honestly, I had the same routine every single morning. My routine every morning was I would get up, I would pack my stuff, my food, I would pack a bag for the gym uh, because there was a gym right at the bottom floor of the building I worked in. And so I would go there about an hour early before work started and I would work out. And after I worked out, I would jump in the shower, I would change my clothes and I'd pop right upstairs and I'd be to work on time and everything was smooth. One Friday morning, I got there and I attempted to do my regular routine, went to the gym, worked out. Actually, it was a cardio day, so I was sweating a lot, worked hard. My clothes were drenched. I jumped in the shower, and to my surprise, I did not bring my change of clothes to go upstairs and work. So I did the unthinkable. I put back on the gym clothes. I know y'all judging me real hard right now. I know it's nasty. I get it. I understand. I had to get to work on time. And so I just put back on the same wet, dirty, soiled gym clothes to go upstairs to work. And I actually worked overtime that day. So, you know, I, I was like really messed up all day. Um, but even though was, that was as, as nasty as that was, and as many of you went, ew, that's disgusting. That is what many of us do when it comes to spiritual growth. When it comes to spiritual growth, last week we learned in verses 22 to 25 of chapter 1, we learned that the word of God acts as a cleansing agent. We learned that we, we literally took a spiritual bath last week through the word of God. But what Peter is showing us today is even though verses 25 to, 22 to 25 last week, we spiritually took a shower. Today's verses, if you put back on the soiled clothes of malice, of deceit, of hypocrisy, of envy, of slander, it is almost as though you've never taken a bath. I put back on those wet soil clothes and doesn't matter how clean my body was, doesn't matter what soap I decided to use that day, doesn't matter what shampoo I used, the, 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 the soil clothes themselves were funky and putting that back on just made me back dirty all over again. And that is what Peter is getting at today. He is saying, listen, you may read the Bible daily. You may serve faithfully in some capacity of the church, 
But if you do not put these specific five sins away, it is almost as though we did not take a bath. And Peter's going to help us this morning. Last week he showed us, listen, the word of God cleanses you so that you're able to love others. But this week he's going to show us that the word of God also gives you the ability to grow up. And many of us in this room, I'm not talking a physical grow up. Some of you are grown. I'm talking a spiritual grow up. And growing up, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. I know people that have walked a long time with the Lord, and they're the worst gossipers in the church. People that, that have walked with the Lord for a long time, and they will slander. They will be envious of you. They will deceive you. But the scripture tells us today, there's five sins that I want you to put away. And these five sins, it's, a, it's interesting because these five sins are not five sins that just, just destroy you. All five of the sins that are listed destroy the community. They break fellowship with one another. Let us consider the text together and walk through each one of them and then get to two and three. Verse number one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Let me lift up the two words in the first verse in the A part of the first verse. So put away. Putting away here really is a, a it's described as putting aside or laying aside. And many times in the scriptures when it refers to putting away. It's talking about taking off old soil clothes. It's talking about what I did when I went to the gym, taking those clothes and not putting them back on. So when he says put away, that's what he's talking about. In fact, the New Testament, whenever it describes putting away or taking off or laying aside, it's specifically talking about sin. It's, it's not talking about anything else, but taking off, putting away different sins. Let me put Bible there just so you're clear. If you're writing verses, write these five down. James chapter one, verse 21. Therefore, same word, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness that, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So let us cast off, same word, the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here's two in the same chapter, Ephesians chapter four. Verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. Verse 25 of that same chapter, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. The last one, and I love this one because la this last one almost assumes that you're in some type of a marathon or that you're in some type of a race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, same word, lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely. If you were in a marathon, nobody in this room in a marathon, no female in here would run a marathon with high heel pumps on. You change those pumps. You put on some running sneakers. No man in here would, would run a marathon with a three-piece suit on and gaiters. We just wouldn't do that. So what the scripture says is put that stuff off, take that stuff off so that you can run and not just run, but run with endurance. If we're going to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we must lay aside not just any sins. Yes, all sins, but specifically these five sins. If we're going to be faithful in following Jesus and if you don't put these away, your spiritual walk will be hindered. It's just that simple. Peter put these in place for a reason. Your spiritual growth, you will be stunted in your growth if you do not put these five sins away. And maybe you're in here and you're going, you know what? I, I, don't, I can't think of any sins in my life that I need to put away. 
Listen, Peter gives us five this morning. And my guess is that out of these five, all of us in this room are dealing with at least one. And we won't tell it. We won't say, listen, I'm a gossiper. We won't say I slander people. We won't say it. But in our heart, it still lingers. And so Peter tells us this morning, he says, listen, put these sins away. Because if you do not put these sins away, yes, they'll destroy you. But these sins will also destroy the community. If you guys will give me a few minutes, what I would love to do is walk through each one of these, all five of these, and see which one. Don't disconnect yourself this morning. Don't say, I don't deal with that. Do not disconnect yourself. Every morning when you wake up, you should say, what am I eating for breakfast? You should say, what am I putting on? And you should say, which one of these sins do I need to put away? Because one of these sins I am dealing with. Let's go through each one of them. So put away, first one, all malice. This one is is interesting because the Greek word for malice primarily refers to wickedness in general. It's not even a specific wickedness. It's a wickedness that invades the heart. Basically, it's the desire to do evil. But if we're going to keep in concert with what Peter is saying and the rest of the four, the rest of the four are all break sins that break fellowship. That means that this specific one, we can't just say, well, it's evil in general. Let me put away evil in general. No, evil that destroys relationships with somebody else. That's what he's saying when he's getting that at malice, evil desires against others. And some of you in this room need to ask yourself, do I, do I harbor bitterness in my heart? Some of us need to ask ourselves, is there a sin? Is there somebody, somebody else offend me and I need to forgive that person for their sin? Are you carrying any type of hatred or ill will against your brother or against your sister? Hear me, no matter if they did you wrong, forgiveness isn't for them. Forgiveness is always for you. And when you're holding on to stuff, what you're doing is you're being a slave to whatever that sin is. And so this is saying, listen, put away all malice, put away anything that hinders you, whatever grudge you have with somebody else, put it away. And what I've realized when it comes to grudges is some of us hold grudges against someone else and we've held it so long that we don't even know why we're mad at the person anymore. We're just like, I don't know. I don't like her. I don't speak to them. I just don't like them. But the reality is you don't even know why you don't like that person. Peter tells us this morning, listen, put it away. And malice really is tied to anger. And oftentimes when it comes to anger, we think when we think anger, we always think that it's explosive or that it's violent or that it's destructive. But sometimes anger is cool and methodical and calculated and relaxed. That's the worst anger. Where somebody's angry with you, but will literally smile in your face the whole time they're hating on you. Listen, malice tied to anger. Peter tells us this morning, listen, don't play with that. Put it away. Now, the next three that he's going to give us. Yes, there's four, but the next specific three really don't just deal with community, but it's a selfishness attached to each one of them. Consider the next one. It says, so put away all malice. The next one, and all deceit. By the way, note the word all. Put away all deceit. This is the sin of deception. This is tricking a person in order to lure them in, in order to destroy them. Every now and then, my family and I take a trip to the Poconos, and we'll go fishing. And whenever we go fishing, we don't own our own fishing rods. We live in Brooklyn, so we don't own any fishing rods. And so we'll go in the Poconos, and we'll rent fishing rods. And when we rent fishing rods, they always give us a cup of dirt. 
Now, when you look at the cup of dirt, at first you're like, well, what is this? Until you start to dig underneath the dirt and there's worms in the dirt. The goal of fishing, first of all, fishing by nature is deception. Like you are deceiving fish. So really what you do with this worm is you take this worm and you put it on a hook. All right, you got to get it in there good and you cast that line into the water and you wait for a fish to bite it. So when the fish comes along, he sees the worm. He's deceived because he doesn't know that the worm is connected to the hook. And when he bites down for a meal, he then becomes the meal. That is what deception is. Dece Peter is saying, do not lure people in by deception within the church in order to destroy them. That is what was going on during this time. And Peter says, listen, later, later he's going to show us if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to put away deception. Why? Because later on, this is what he says in the same chapter. I think it's verse 22. He's going to say, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Okay, take a note. He's our example so that you may follow in his full footsteps. Take note that we're supposed to follow in Christ's footsteps. What does it say we're following? He committed no sin. Same word. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus Christ never deceived anybody, yet his bride deceives people. Peter's saying, put that crap away. Don't be, don't be a deceiver. Now, the next one is interesting. Look at the next one. We're just going to keep walking through them. So put away all malice. Put away all deceit. And he says, put away hypocrisy. Why is hypocrisy an interesting one? Because this is literally a theatrical word. In Roman times, in Roman theaters, what they would do is they would have uh, a few actors on stage and the actors would have to play multiple roles. And whenever you play multiple roles, a hypocrite, which really isn't a negative term in that, during that time, not in the theater world, a hypocrite was somebody that would take a mask Put it on and play a different role. Please pick up what Peter is showing us here. It's almost like Eddie Murphy in the Clumps. Eddie Murphy in the Clumps, he plays Buddy Love. <laughs> he plays the Professor Clump. He plays uh, Mama, Grandma Clump. He plays everybody. He plays Mama Clump. Y'all sharing me, sharing y'all. That just popped in. I don't know where that came from. That was not in the notes. That just came somewhere out of somewhere. But what we see here is Peter is saying, don't, don't be like a, a, a theater actress, which takes off a mask and then puts on another mask in order to deceive other people. And the reality is some of you in here are wearing multiple masks. We get one mask, we get one you on Sunday. On Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, we get a whole new person. You're putting on different masks. And Peter is saying, listen, don't be hypocritical. We think hypocritical is something different. No, it's you Acting one way, but you're actually a different way. And Jesus often, often, often within the Gospels came after the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. Read Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 is a whole chapter, really half the chapter he spends on, I mean, hammering away at the religious leaders. I'm going to just read a couple of the verses to you. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites with an exclamation point. For you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. He goes on to say, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones. Jesus was starkly against hypocrites. My mother used to call it two-faced. Y'all remember that's what you call it. 
when you are two-faced, when you're one way with somebody else and you get around another group of people and you're another way, Peter says that has no place in the church. Hypocrites have no place in the church. And the greatest place, the greatest place to see hypocrisy is not in your neighbor. The greatest place to see hypocrisy is on your own Instagram timeline. Come on, y'all act, y'all act like y'all don't know. We appear one way. Like, if we could live up to our grams, we'd be killing it. But let's be honest. We only put the best picture up. In fact, if you go to your phone, you probably got different poses of the same picture. Because we take 29 pictures, we filter the heck out of it, then we ask somebody, what do you think about this? We filter it again, we check our text, we send it, we say, what do you think if I put that to this picture? Then we finally post it. Listen, we're getting a different version of you. And when we finally meet you face to face, we're like, that's you? (laughs) You went to Facetune and just changed everything. We're hypocrites deep inside each and what we'll do is we'll easily say, I'm not a hypocrite. But the reality is you scroll through your timeline and be honest. We are hypocrites. We only put up, we put up the best. We never put up the mess. Bars. Come on. Come on. I didn't even mean that. Bars. We, we, I feel like a rapper today. Listen, we're hypocrites. I spit those bars just to say you and I, and do not disconnect yourself. I really don't want you to walk out here and say, I know somebody that's a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite. Like, own that. And if you don't think you're a hypocrite, I'm serious. Just scroll through Facebook, scroll through Instagram, and just take a look at your filtered pictures. Take a look. Like, we take husband and wives, we'll get together, and we'll, we won't speak all day, but we'll take a picture with you, a selfie with each other. Like, we, you know, we do the duck lips. Like, we all good. We're not good. <laughs> what we are is we're taking off one mask, and we're putting on another mask. Most of us in this room, we need to do away with our mask. Let's keep going, though. That's the third one. We're going to go to the fourth fourth one. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy. And then he says envy. Envy is, I mean, this will destroy a church. We often think that envy has to do with us wanting what someone else has. Envy is much much more sinful and hatred than, than that. Really, if you want what someone else has, the Bible calls that coveting. That's not envy. So coveting says, I want what you have, but I don't mind if you have it. Envy says, I want what you have, but I don't even want you to have it. That's envious. Peter says, listen, put that away. Envy wants the downfall of everybody else. At the same time, it wants us to be an advancement while everybody else is on their way down. It wants you to rise. It's a sinful selfishness. Let's not be envious. And Peter says it this morning. He says, at the heart of selfishness is envy. But here's what we need to do in contrary. We need to do what Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Yes, that's, that almost sounds easy to do. Here's the hard part, the B part of that text. It then goes on to say, outdo one another with honor. Like if you want to put away envy, the best way to put away envy is outdo somebody else with showing honor. What we want is we want the honor. That's what envy is. We want the glory. That's what envy is. But Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, no, outdo somebody else. 
If all of us in this room created a culture where we all just outdid one another with, with kindness and with honor, we said, no, you look good. No, you look good. No, you look good today. I like those shoes. Like if we outdid one another with showing honor instead of trying to receive honor ourselves, we would combat this horrible sin of being envious. Listen, Peter says, put it away. Put it away. Let's keep going. Last one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. And the last one is and slander. The fifth one is the, it's a sin of the lips when we talk bad against our brothers and our sisters. This word slander is used two times. In the New Testament, it's used here and it's used in 2 Corinthians. And both times it's used in the King James. I love the King James because the King James calls it backbiting. Both times, slander, the sin of the mouth, the sin of talking against your brother, the sin of talking against your sister. Listen, Peter's saying, put that away. Please keep in mind that if this chapter didn't break here, this would have flowed right off the heels of Peter telling us last week to love one another. You cannot genuinely love your brother and sister and slander them at the same time. Peter says, listen, you need to put it away in the greatest way. If this is a community effort, if these five sins break community, these five sins should be warred against, war, we should war against it in community. What am I saying by that? The greatest way to shut down slander is as a community, stop listening to it. Like if we pull the audience from people that are slanderers, if we pull the audience from them, they have nobody to talk to. They will slowly die to that sin. It will destroy community. But I, I would go so far as to say, let's not just stop listening. But if you have a relationship with that person, you need to confront them too. Because some people, I'm convinced, some people don't realize that they're slant. They don't know that they're talking against their brother and sister. They just think, man, I'm just, you know, trying to tell you a little bit about the person. No, you're gossiping. You're slandering that person. Sometimes people don't know that they're busy. You got to tell them. Lovingly, you have to say, listen, let me talk to you. I heard you say this, and that wasn't nice what you said about this person. As a community, we got to shut that down. Because Peter shows us today that all five of these sins will break Community. Let's keep going. Now, verse one, what verse one did was it showed us maturity and how to grow up in a negative terms. In other words, it said, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Put this away. Put this away. Put this away. Verse two and three shows us how to grow up in a positive term. It doesn't say don't do this. Two and three tells us to do this. Read verse number two with me. Let me read one right into two. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. I was baffled this week when I read verse 2, because I would have thought after, he, after he's given us the, the five sins, he would counter that with a list of five positive virtues. But he does not counter it with a list of virtues. Peter gives us five sins that we need to put away with. And then he goes to verse two and he doesn't tell us, well, do this, do this, do this. He says, long for something. Now, if the, if in, in verse number one, he was telling us to take off clothes. In verse number two, he's talking to us about eating a specific food in order to grow up. Let's consider it again. Just the, the, B, the, the A part, like newborn infants, long, here it is, for pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk is the word of God. How do I know that? Because keep in mind, if this chapter didn't break, 
he just told us in the preceding verses about the word of God. Remember what he said in verse number 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. He's continuing his thought. So he's telling them to long for not for natural milk. He's telling them to long for the word of God. The easiest way to combat these sins is to get yourself into your Bible. Often confront people on sin and the first thing they say is just don't throw any, a bunch of scriptures at me. No, that's exactly what you need is a bunch of scriptures. Why? Because Peter says, how do we counter this list? You don't counter it by a bunch of positives. You counter it by getting deeply into the word of God. And, and, and rather than practicing a specific behavior towards the word of God, Peter shows us that we should adopt an attitude towards the word of God. He says, long for pure spiritual milk. No, he doesn't say read it. Yes, you should read it. He doesn't say memorize it. Yes, you should memorize it. He doesn't say quote it. He doesn't tell us to share it. He doesn't tell us to study it. All of those things are needed. In our text this morning, he goes deeper than that. He goes to the affections. He says long for it. Do you in this room, don't answer it. It's a rhetorical question. Answer it in your heart. Do you genuinely have a longing for the word of God? And your longing for the word of God has to go beyond just the 40 minutes on a Sunday in a sermon. Okay, 50, but who's counting? Your longing for the word of God has to go way beyond that. And the word of God that he's talking about here really is twofold. Remember last week, last week he talked about, he used two different words for the word of God, for the word. He used the word logos, which is the written word of God. And he used the word rhema in verse 25, which is the oral preaching word of God. What am I saying? You need both in your spiritual growth. You need the preaching of God's word, but you also got to go home and read God's word. You cannot simply come here, hear the preaching of God's word, go home and never open your Bible again. You won't spiritually grow. The opposite is true as well. You cannot go home, read the word of God and say, I don't ever got to sit under anybody's preaching. The scripture told us by giving us, introducing us to logos and to the rhema word of God, it's showing us both are necessary in your spiritual growth. Please note the word pure. We ran past it, but it's important. Look back at the verse. It says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk is showing us that we should long for a word that is uncontaminated and unadulterated. It's the word of God. It should be no error in it. And so we shouldn't just long for milk. We should long for uncontaminated milk. Uncontaminated milk will absolutely, without even second guessing it, it will cause a baby to be unhealthy. An infant will be unhealthy if you give them contaminated milk. Not even just an infant. An adult will be brought to his knees if he drinks milk that is expired. One time I was looking through the refrigerator and um, I found a half a gallon of, of milk in the refrigerator. And I said, you know what? This is two weeks old, but I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to pour it on these Honey Nut Cheerios and see if the Lord can turn this, this water into wine. And I poured it on and I drank it. And about an hour later, I started to feel something bubbling in my spirit. And I promise you it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I was messed up all week. That's not pure milk. So what Peter is saying is don't just long for anything. This is why you got to be careful of what podcast you listen to. 
You got to be careful of what books you entertain and what you read. Because everything isn't pure spiritual milk. It may sound like it. That milk in the refrigerator looked like it was good. But it wasn't. And so what we have to long for is deeper than just milk. You have to long for pure spiritual milk. And what I know about longing for it is your longing for it sometimes should keep you up in the middle of the night. Like we, we get up in the middle of the night and what we do is we stress over things. How about you get up in the middle of the night because you're like, you know what? I forgot to read today. I forgot to read my word today. See, infants, when I, you know, both of my boys, when I didn't, some of you have that, you're blessed with that. You know, my kid started right from day one. He was sleeping all through the night. That wasn't our testimony at all. From day one, both of my boys were up in the middle of the night. And what were they up for? They didn't want to conversate. They didn't want to be coddled. They didn't want to be held. They wanted milk. They were longing for milk. And they, they weren't even cognizant of the fact that the milk was actually nutrients for them to help them to grow up. You're cognizant of the fact that the word of God helps you to grow up. Yet we don't, we don't labor in it. We just get a little bit just to say, I read a scripture today and I kept my, you know, kept going. no long for pure spiritual milk there should be some nights that you are up with your phone with your light on looking at your bible because you are getting in the word of god infants get up in the middle of the night but we sleep we sit in sin and sleep christians yet the word of god tells us today listen long for something deeper you got to long for more than just clothes and cars and you got to long for the word of God. And so the way we combat the five sins that Peter just gave us was saying, he said, listen, you got to long for pure spiritual milk. What is the goal of longing for it? The text tells us. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Here's the goal that by it, you may grow up into salvation. What helps us to grow up simply is the word of God. Edmund Herbert said it well. He said the true aim of Bible study is never a mere mastery of content, but a transforming experience with the Lord who reveals himself through the word of God. What happens with us is we read the word and we, we don't labor, we don't harbor it in our heart so that later on we can pull it out so that we can grow. No, we read it to check it off the list. We say we did our God thing, but Peter says to us this morning, listen, long for pure spiritual milk. Let me keep going. Verse two again, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that my you may grow up into salvation. Verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter does something in, in verse number three that he's done consistently throughout all of this letter so far. He uh, once again quotes the Old Testament. He right now is quoting Psalm 34 verse number eight. Now, here's what's interesting. So far in this letter, he's quoted Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. He's quoted for us Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. He did that last week. And now he's quoting for us Psalm 34, verse 8. Why is this interesting? Because Peter is telling us he's not telling us to, some, to long for something that he himself isn't longing for. By quoting scripture, once again, he's showing us that he's longing for the pure spiritual milk. And this isn't the last time that Peter will long for this. Peter will not only Psalm 34 verse 8, but later on in chapter 3, he's going to quote Psalm 34 once more again. Peter was familiar with his Bible. Peter understood the Old Testament and he understood that a part of spiritual growth, a part of living as an exile, a part of being different is getting into the word of God. 
So Peter didn't dis disconnect his spiritual growth or his life from the word. No, he knew that they were deeply connected. Three times he quotes the Old Testament. And this time he quotes it. He quotes Psalm 34. Now, this is interesting that he quotes Psalm 34 here, but it's also interesting that he's going to quote it again in the next chapter. Why is that interesting? Because Psalm 34, but I, this rocked me when I, when I read through this earlier this week. Psalm 34 is a psalm written by David as he was on the run from Abimelech. Why is that interesting? How appropriate and relevant is Peter? He's contextualizing the word of God right now. How do I know that? Because he's writing, he's giving them a psalm from David on the run from Abimelech while these Christians are on the run from King Nero, Emperor Nero. So he's writing to them something that would have been, it would have soothed them. He knew that the word of God is relevant for every sector of life. And so he said, let me find a, a psalm that identifies with what these believers are going through. Oh, they're on the run from Emperor Nero. Let me quote to them in this letter two times from Psalm 34. This is so powerful that he does that. Now, what does he say when he quotes it? He says, if indeed, I love this, you've tasted, please circle that word tasted, because what he's doing is he's wetting their appetite for something greater than their troubles. When you've tasted of the Lord, when you've truly tasted of Jesus Christ, everything else loses its flavor. When I go to Cat's Deli in the city, when I go there, they do something that's, I think the, I think the Holy Spirit like lives in Cat's Deli. When I go there, I stand in line and I order my Reuben sandwich. And, and, and when I get to the line of people, there's a typically about a five, maybe even a 10 minute wait for them to make the sandwich. What do they do? They go behind the counter, they grab a plate, they cut off a little slice of that corned beef and they put it on a plate and they give it to me. What they are doing when, by giving me that little taste is they're trying to get me to desire the sandwich. I do not get that plate, eat the corned beef and then run across the street to McDonald's. Who does that? But what we do is if we've truly tasted of the Lord Jesus Christ, we still run across the street to other stuff. Cats does that because they want you to long for what you are about, the meal that you're about to eat. When you've tasted of the Lord, everything else, like Jesus makes everything else secondary. If you can trust Jesus and have him on the same bar as something else, you haven't fully trusted Jesus. Because when you trust Jesus, everything else is fleeting. There's nothing in my life above Jesus. Hear me. I love my wife. I love my boys. But I don't put them on the same pedestal as Jesus Christ. I'm able to love them more effectively because Jesus is above them. Peter says, listen, if indeed you've tasted of the Lord, of his goodness, this, this taste here is so interesting. Not only that, but note the word if. Look at what the text says. Circle that as well. If indeed you have tasted of the Lord. Peter wanted his readers to contemplate whether they've truly trusted the Lord. And I call you in this room to contemplate whether you've truly tasted the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you taste him, you don't want to taste anything else. Problem is we're tasting so many other things and we are destroying our appetite for the Lord because we eat Jesus Christ and everything else. My mother used to tell me the worst time to go to the store is when you're hungry. Because you'll pick up a bunch of stuff that you don't need. But if you taste of the goodness of Jesus Christ, nothing else in the store makes sense. Jesus should be everything. And so I want to call you to that this morning. I want to call you to that word if, 
If you've tasted of the Lord, have you in this room tasted of the goodness of Jesus Christ? Have you truly put your faith in the gospel message of Jesus Christ? No, I'm not asking you if you know the gospel, because I am convinced that people can quote the gospel and not believe it. Have you tasted of Jesus Christ today? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Somebody in this room read this list of five things that you need to put away and you automatically said to yourself, it is impossible to put those away. Here's the truth. It is impossible to put those away outside of tasting of the goodness of the Lord. So some of you in this room need to taste and see that he's good. Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, decided to die on your behalf. Here's what you need to taste. Here's the gospel. He decided to die on you and I's behalf so that we can be presented before God as holy and blameless and righteous. And standing before God on any other basis outside of the righteousness of Jesus Christ will be crushing. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2 will say. It will say that you and I are dead in our sins in which we all once walked in the course, following the course of this world. And then it says, by nature, you're a child of wrath. That means if you're in here, you're going, I'm a sinner because I've sinned. You're not. You're a sinner because it's a part of your nature. You need a whole new heart. You don't need, you don't, you're, you aren't sick. You don't need cold medicine. You don't need thorough flu. You need a heart transplant. You need to be revived. And through Jesus Christ, we get that. Through trusting in the work of Jesus Christ, through saying, I'm going to follow him like the people that got baptized today. I'm going to follow him and trust him for the rest of my life. Through that, you get a taste of that. If you're not a believer, it changes everything. So those of you who are in here, maybe you haven't trusted Jesus. Maybe you don't, you, you have no clue what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what I know. Forget your neighbor. Forget the person sitting beside you. You in this room, if you know that you would die today, if you know that you wouldn't spend eternity with the Lord, you should taste of the Lord today. Taste and see that he's good. Is there anybody with every head bowed, is there there anybody that would say, let's be real, I, I haven't tasted of the Lord. I don't know how good he is. And maybe I'm the person that comes every week, but I I don't know what it means to trust in Jesus Christ and turn from my sin and turn to the one that died for my sins. I want to give my life to him today. Would you slip your hand in the air? If you want to trust Jesus, if you want to make the decision today to give your life solely to the work of Christ, why don't you raise your hand? Say, I want to trust him. I want to taste and see that he's good. I'll give you a few minutes. There's another group of people that I would love to pray for. Everyone head bow and continue to close those eyes. There's another group of people in here that in reality, we haven't put off sin. We've trusted Jesus, but we leaned on grace so much that all we do is continue in Maybe not these specific five sins, but there are sins that we deal with. I know that there are some that are dealing with these five sins. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you today. Why am I praying for you today? 
Because if you don't put away that sin, it destroys the body of Christ. We don't sin in a vacuum. You don't sin isolated by yourself. Your sin has the ability to pack your family members. It has the ability to pack your community. It has the ability to impact your church community. We need to get right today. So if, that was, if that's you, if you would say, man, I have sin that I need to put away. I need to put off. I need to take the old soiled garments. I need not to put back on my gym clothes. If that's you, why don't you raise your hand? I see those hands. Keep those hands up. I see those hands. I see those hands. And as a community, we want to get around our brothers and sisters that are professing today that I have sin, either unconfessed sin or sin that has not been dealt, dealt with. We need to do business with the Lord. Here's what I know, that there's some of you that don't have your hand raised, that you need to raise your hand because you have been good at hiding the sin from everybody else, but you can't hide it from God. Why don't you raise your hand today? Give that sin to the Lord. As a step of faith, why don't those of you who have your hand raised, why don't you come down? I simply want to pray for you. Come down front. If you raised your hand, would you come down front? We stand with you as a community. You guys move on down. You guys move on down. Can we thank God for these that are coming to the altar? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, he says that if you would acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father. Jesus is your advocate acknowledging you before the father, acknowledging you saying, listen, I have sin that's unconfessed, that's even spiraling out of control in my life. That verse also goes on to say, if you would deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Yes, that's talking about salvation. The reality is some of us that have trusted Jesus haven't lived like we've trusted Jesus. I want to give it another second. Thank you guys for your boldness in coming down. I want to give it a second because I, I genuinely, genuinely feel that when I said unconfessed sin, that some of you automatically thought big sins. So we confess those big sins, right? But the little ones we let run. The little ones that are in our mind, we let those sins pass. If that's you, I, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you time. If there's little sins, little things that you know that you need to confess to the Lord, you come up. There's that one I was thinking about. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Instead of me just praying, I'm praying that the entire community would lift our voices, even you on this altar, and begin to pray about our own sin. They're still coming. Thank you. Let's lift our voice and start praying. Come on, everybody. If you're comfortable, would you pray for these that are on this altar? Come on. They're trying to taste of the Lord here. Jesus Father I thank you for each and every person that is on this altar Father we realize that if we confess our sin 
Your Bible tells us in 1 John that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, but you go so far as to say you'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray purity on this altar. Each and every person, that's the beauty in the Holy Spirit. You know how to reach every single heart that's up here. And for those that sat in their seat and, and have not owned it yet, Father, I pray that you would move on them too. We thank you that we have an advocate with the Father. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to the altar and say, I want to confess this sin. And we don't, we're not met with judgment. We're not met with condemnation. We're not met with the wrath of God. But we are met, hear me, with grace. Thank you, Lord. Where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Thank you for your grace, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your grace. And I pray, oh God, that you would help the people on this altar to walk away with a sense of newness of life. Help us to walk away serious and passionate about living for you. You've called us to be ambassadors of you. And Father, as an ambassador, oh God, I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling in Christ Jesus. I thank you for each and every person up here. And I pray, oh God, that you would help them to be witnesses. Help whatever they're dealing with to be a testimony. To help someone else to overcome that sin. In the mighty name of Jesus, build testimonies on this altar. Build testimonies on this altar. So that someone else will not have to go through what we're going through. We thank you, Jesus. It is in his name and his name alone that we pray. Let everybody say amen. You guys walk back with the newness of life. Come on, let's continue to clap. You know, we take this time so serious because there are so many, I know for me, I know, what it, I know what it feels like to go through the motions of religiosity. I know what that feels like to go through the motions of acting like I have it all together when in reality, I don't have, I don't have jack together. I know what that feels like. But I thank God for these that came to the altar because what they're saying is, listen, I'm confessing that I want to walk differently. We're moving into a time of communion. Communion is a time where we get to celebrate the work of Jesus Christ. That tasting that we talked about, that gospel that we talked about, this represents the cross of Jesus Christ. And so in here we have the body, a symbol of the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we also have a symbol of his blood that washes our sin away. So if you're a believer, we ask that you would take you guys can pass it out.